When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In that text, some translations read, some English translations read, now that you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. Now that, that's going to be part of what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. Uh, can everybody hear me? Okay. Even Chip. <laughs> I'm the guy that talks in your dreams. <laughs> okay. We had some happy songs, and they were... They are enjoyable, aren't they? They're, they're perky. They get us feeling good about ourselves, feeling good about God. But uh, what I want to tell you is that, that the, uh, the term happy, and we'll look at this in a little more depth in a, minute, in a minute, is a translation of the word blessed or blessed. Sometimes we use that term blessed. Now, in Psalms chapter 144 and verse 15, David said, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. So the English version will translate the word happy as blessed, and sometimes the word blessed is happy. They'll use those two, those two terms. So the, the Hebrew word here in Psalms 144 is, could be translated either by the word happy or the word blessed. Now, I chose to use the term happy because that's, that's the theme I want to talk to you about this morning. I believe that God's people, believers, are the happiest people on earth, or should be, have more right than anyone else on earth to be happy. Now, we have to, we have to decide what happiness is before we can go much further along this line. Philosophers and, and those who philologists, those who look at terms and words and roots of words, have a, a difficult time describing what the word happiness means. And you may have a definition in your own mind, in your own background, as to what happiness is. But uh, it's not always easy to, to uh, translate it. It's not always easy to categorize it. For instance, we know what it feels like to be happy. You've, you've had the feeling. And you know what it feels like to be sad. You know that. Whether you can actually define that and describe it to someone else is a different story, isn't it? We know what it means. Even if we can't define it in specific terms, we know it feels good to be happy and it feels bad to be sad. We know that. There are several things that we can all agree on when we talk about happiness before we get into the definition of it. And as I said before, uh, the, the people who deal in languages and philosophers and historians even 
have a difficult time with grasping the meaning of this word. And they really, if you, if you start looking it up in dictionaries and lexicons and so forth, you'll find that there's a wide variety of, of definitions of what people actually think happiness is. So it's elusive. Okay. But there's some things that we know that we can agree on about happiness, and that is, and I don't want to remark, I don't want to criticize what we sometimes use the term happiness for, but we, we want to be more precise in what we're talking about so we'll understand what we have. All those songs were great that we just sang. I love those because it, it buoys up our, our spirits. And yet, what I want to tell you is that happiness is not specifically joy. It's not, it's not like you're traveling across a wild sea where you have great peaks and deep valleys and back and forth. And when you get up on the peak, you feel very good. You go down to the bottom, you feel very bad. Happiness is not a joy. Not, and most of, the, most of those who will try to define it for you will tell you it's not a feeling of elation. In other words, you're not going to have peaks and valleys with happiness. Happiness is more of a long haul, steady emotion or feeling that you'll have. It's not a feeling of, uh, it's not an electrifying emotion, but it's a calming and soothing emotion. And it doesn't depend upon excitement, like you're on a roller coaster, and it's great fun to be on a roller coaster, and when you get off the roller coaster, you're through with the, the excitement. That's not what happiness is. Happiness is long-term, soothing and calming. Another thing we can agree on is that happiness is not dependent upon money or material goods. We can be happy if we have nothing, and we can be happy if we have everything. So happiness really is not dependent so much on our social or economical environment. It's something that we have that transcends all of that. That can be, you can be happy if you're poor, be happy if you're wealthy. So the rich and the poor alike can and do experience happiness. Thirdly, happiness can be enjoyed in any circumstance, in any clime, anywhere. You can enjoy it anywhere. If you're, if you're in the wilds of Africa, you can be happy. If you're in the frozen tundra of Alaska, you can be happy. If you're in the searing, searing, searing desert of the Sahara, you can be happy. It doesn't make any difference what climate you're in. You can be happy. And uh, whether it's raining or the sun is shining, you can be happy even while you're under severe, physically challenging conditions. There's such a thing as singing in the rain. You can be happy. Now, what happens when it rains or the sun shines is you, you experience different moods. But happiness is not a mood. You've heard of people being moody. That means they're either on top of the world or underneath the world somehow. Happiness is not a mood. I know that's a dangerous thing to say, but it's still true. 
Happiness is not a mood. Happiness is a feeling that you enjoy and that you can experience and that you can retain. And happiness oftentimes, this is the fourth point I want to make, happiness oftentimes will spring out of tragedy. It arises out of the ashes of sorrow. Happiness can come out of something bad and often does. As a matter of fact, it most likely and most generally does come out of bad situations. It's like the flower that blooms in the field after a devastating fire. It's like the flowers that come back after a severe storm, cold winter, icy, deadening storm, and the flowers come back anyway. The tree grows again. The birds sing again. It, it appears like a ray of light following a dark night. And uh, it paints the room of your heart with bright colors. That's what happiness can do. Not a mood, but a sense. Now, we have some words. I have some words for you on the screen. Because we're going to talk about happiness in terms of Bible words. And I, as I said before, I believe the Christian, the believer, the one who reaches out and takes a hold by faith of Jesus Christ and God can be happy. Happier than anybody else because you have something nobody else has in this world. These words, the, word, the first one you see on the left, the two words on the left, Barak and Asher, those two words are Hebrew words. They're, they're transliterated into English. Now you've heard the word Barack, Barack Obama, the, the former president. That's, that's the same pronunciation of that word. And then the word on the right, eulogio, or makarios, are the Greek words. Now, this isn't going to be, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that, but I do want you to know what these words mean. So when you read the word blessed, or blessed, or blessing, in the Bible, in the English Bible, you're going to read words that have these meanings, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek. And you're going to find that, that uh, they will translate back and forth from the word blessed, the word happy, to the word praise. But whatever it may be, you'll find that you can easily understand what it's talking about simply by the context, by what you're reading. It's not, you're not going to be confused by them, but you, you, you will understand them. For instance, the word Barak in the Old Testament and the word Eulogio, in the New Testament, simply means to speak well of. You know what a eulogy is? A eulogy is what the preacher uses when he is preaching a funeral. And he's saying good things about someone who's passed on. That's a eulogy. And that's from that word, eulogio. Okay. So it means to speak well of. So when you read the word Bless in the Old and New Testament is talking about God, is talking about speaking well of God. That's simple, isn't it? It's not talking about being happy about God. You'll see in other contexts it can say that, but here it's talking about speaking well of God. So in, so in Psalms 34, verse 1, 
David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. What did he mean? He wasn't going to pronounce something on him. He's just going to say, I'm going to speak well of God. And he does. And you'll find that in the preponderance of terms, times that the word blessing is found in the Old Testament is talking about speaking well of God. Abraham spoke well of God. Melchizedek spoke well of God. The old, the old uh, individuals, prophets, and psalmists spoke well of God. And in the New Testament, when we, when we read that, we read, for instance, Ephesians 1 at verse 3, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. He was speaking well of God. He was praising Him. Saying good things about God. Matthew chapter 21 at verse 9. When Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem just before He was betrayed and, and sent to uh, His death, Everybody that was surrounding him and all the children were crying out and everybody was happy to see him. They were saying, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And that's a quotation from Psalms 118, verse 26. So it's used both ways in the Old and the New Testament. James says in James chapter 3 at verse 9, With our tongue we both bless God and curse man. So you can see that the word blessed there means to speak well. We, this, we can speak well of God and speak evil of man. And Matthew 5 verse 44, Jesus said don't do that. He said bless your enemies. Bless those that curse you. So he's, he's saying speak well of those that curse you. So that word is fairly easy to get a hold of, isn't it? And so when you read them in the Old Testament and the New Testament and you can see text like that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10:16 he said the cup of blessing which we bless is it not the blood of the lord communion of the body communion of the blood of the lord okay the cup of blessing which we bless so you can see these speaking well of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and of Jesus himself and as a matter of fact Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, I think. He talks about Jesus and he said, He's the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. So he's blessed. He was speaking highly of Jesus. But what about the use of the other term, asher? That's the one we're going to look at, really. Asher and makarios. That means happy. That means to make you feel, feel good. And we'll, we'll define that in just a second. That, that will help us. So there are several texts in the book of Psalms that help us see this pretty clearly. And I'm just going to read them for you. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to substitute the word happiness and happy for the word blessed. So just, just read it along with me because that's, that's the definition of that word. In Psalms 1.1 it says... Happy is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now the text says blessed is the man, but I'm saying happy because that's what the word means. And in Psalms 2 verse 12 it says, Happy are they that put their trust in the Lord. Well, you know, it gives you that feeling, euphoric feeling of happiness when you trust God. You can see that. Psalms Chapter 32, verse 1, Happy are those whose transgressions are forgiven 
and their sins are covered. Well, sure, that brings happiness, doesn't it? And in Psalms 41, verse 1, happy is he that considers the poor. Happy is one who takes care of the poor. And in Psalms 84, 12, happy is he that trusts in you. He, David was speaking about God. And in Psalms 119, verse 20, happy are those who keep his testimonies. Now all those words in your English translation will read blessed. But that's that word I share, which means happiness. Now the word makarios in the New Testament. Well, that's, that's uh, we'll, we'll, I'll show you some other, some texts after a while that talk about that, especially in what we call the Beatitudes. But for this, for our purpose right now, look at the term makarios. And when you go back, you, you know that our, our English language has its roots in the Greek. Greek and Latin and, and so forth on down to our time. But if you look at some of these words, makarios, and you think in terms of, well, what's macrame? We'll use that term. That's an English word. What, what does a makarios, how would you use that word today? How would that appear somewhere? Macro means large or long. Macro means small or little, right? That's the, that's the Greek word or the root word. So when we say something is macro, we mean it's long and large. Micro means a small, short. Okay. So happiness is long and it's steady. It's not a short burst. It's not joy. It's not an exciting attitude. It's not something you just can translate as a mood. I feel good today. That's not happiness. That's joy. That's that's excitement. But happiness is longer than that. And it's wider than that. And it's stronger than that. Now, we have some definitions. I said it's hard for the philosophers and the word merchants to be able to tell us what happiness is. But most of them have come to this particular point. They define, and we'll actually use this abbreviation, SWB, to define happiness. And what they mean by that is subjective well-being. Subjective well-being. I use the term in this way, a sense of well-being. It actually means contentment. You are contented within yourself. You have a contentment. Subjective well-being, they use that term because it means that it's up to you, nobody else. You know, can somebody change your well-being? They might change your mood. And other external forces can change your mood, but not your feeling of well-being. You see the difference? The subjective feeling of well-being is stable. And steady. It underlies everything else. It holds everything else up. You're not way up here on top of Mount Everest and way down here in Death Valley the next day or at the Dead Sea. But you are firmly on your way. You're you're solid. You have a subjective well being. Happiness. 
there's a wide variety of reasons why the Christian, the believer, is happy. How they are content. Have a sense of well-being. It just feel like everything's okay. That's what happiness is. It's what the word blessed means in the Bible. Well, number one, you can feel this way, and you do feel this way because you know who you are. God's told you who you are. God knows who you are, and He's told you the type of person you are. And you read it in the Bible, and you can see yourself. You look in the mirror as the Bible talks about itself. The Word of God is a mirror. We look into the mirror and see ourselves. We don't forget ourselves. If we look out of the mirror, we forget who we are. But at the same time, we also know who loves us. It's, it's very important for you to have a sense of well-being, to know that somebody loves you. Your mother loves you. Sometimes the mother's the only one that can love you. <laughs> your daddy loves you. Your brother, your sister, your friend, your neighbor. Maybe not so much your neighbor, but your friend. God loves you. And you know how much he loves you? Have you ever asked anybody else this question? Bonnie asks me all the time, how much do you love me? Well, no, it's always as much as you, you know, it's this big. It is. Okay. How much do you love me? How much does God love me? Why, look out in the space. He loves you as far as you can see. He loves you with the fierceness of love that's almost inexplicable. He loves you so much he'll wrap his arms around you and cuddle you tight and tell you all the time that he loves you. How? He said, I love you so much, I sent my son down here to tell you. Did you hear him? Hear what he said? He said, I love you. He has forgiven you also. This is the second reason why we can have a sense of well-being because God has forgiven us all of our past. And we don't have to worry about our past anymore. Once you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you're willing to state that, and you're baptized into Jesus Christ, you rise and walk in newness of life, all your sins are gone. You know, his enemies asked him that question. Jesus' enemies in Matthew chapter 8. When they let the man down out of the roof and Jesus healed him, they said, who can forgive sins but God? And that's right, who can? He's the only one that can, can forgive our sins. He forgives our sins. So much so that we know that nothing from our past is going to come up and bite us suddenly. Nothing from our past is going to be a ghost that hovers over us. Nothing like that is going to happen to us because God forgave our sins in Jesus. He forgave us. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to grieve about it. We don't have to regret it. We don't have to spend a bad day because we're remembering what sins we committed. We don't have to do that. God forgave us our sins. That's the second reason. The third reason is because as a Christian, God tells you don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. You don't have enough to eat, I'll make sure you have something to eat. You don't have anything to wear, I'll make sure you have something to wear. Maybe not to your liking. Maybe not, you may have to wear somebody's hand-me-downs. You may have to wear someone's clothes who's died. 
and left something for you. It doesn't make any difference. God can make sure you have enough to wear. He said if he, if he so clothes the lilies of the valley, the, the flowers of the field, he, he can sure clothe you. If he can take care of the birds in the air, he can feed you. So we can have a sense of well-being. Things are okay because God said he would take care of me. You say, well, maybe I want to be taken care of better than I've been taken care of. He didn't say he would do you better than anybody else. He just said he would take care of you. So you can have a sense of well-being. You can go back to business and say, okay, I can make tomorrow because God said he's got tomorrow in his hands and I'm in his hands. He will provide. Matthew 6, 25 and the following says, take no thought. Don't worry about it. And the fourth reason why you can have a sense of well-being is because God has provided for you a network of friends and family who will love you and support you. It's called the body, the church. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he, de- he delineates the church. He said, some are fingers and some are noses can smell and some are toes and some are eyes. And some are ears, but they all fits together. You have a network of people that care about you. Doesn't that make you feel better? A sense of well-being. That's the point. And yet that sense of well-being is a state and not a trait. You'll find that if you're researching this business of happiness you'll find that everyone will tell you that happiness sometimes is fleeting. It's not something that you inherit genetically. It's not in your DNA. It's, now, we're not talking about the face. You can sometimes be moody. And that's in your DNA. But happiness is a state that is produced from subjective well-being. Which means you control it. You're controlling that. And God's helping you control it. He's taking care of you in the ways that we already mentioned. So your happiness doesn't depend. My happiness doesn't depend upon someone else treating me or mistreating me. It doesn't depend on anything else. My happiness depends subjectively on me. It's a state. And I have the tools and access to it through Jesus Christ. It's not like I can produce it myself, but I can get a hold of it, and I can live in a state of happiness. So, we actually reach happiness through an individual effort. Why? Why? Why don't I? Why don't I have a subjective feeling of, or a sense of well-being? Because I, I have not reached out to God because I have not recognized what he's provided for me? There are reasons for this. Benjamin Franklin said, you know the Constitution guarantees that we have the pursuit of happiness. Benjamin Franklin says, but you have to catch it. So he understood that we, in our pursuit of it, we still have to catch up to it. Helen Keller quoted the Apostle Paul, and I like this, because Helen Keller was blind and death. And yet she 
succeeded and she gained the ability to communicate and she prevailed. And you know what she said? She said, I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in therewith to be content. That's what Paul said, Paul the Apostle. That's what Helen Keller said. In whatever state I'm in to be content. Philippians 4, verse 11. The cold fact about happiness is that we choose to be happy over the alternative. The Christian has the decided advantage in this regard. Now, I've mentioned before, and I'm sure you you may have heard me say this before, that the Beatitudes over in Matthew chapter 5, or actually, uh, it's not as much a Beatitude as it is a happiness text. And as you read these texts, blessed is he that is poor in spirit, blessed is he that mourns, blessed is he that... Anyway, as you read those, you think, well, that's, that's, a, that's a prescription for unhappiness. Poor in spirit, those who suffer for righteousness' sake, those who, uh, who are hungry and thirsty, those who are peacemakers, those who are persecuted, these are... These are not happy traits, but they are. He's saying happy, happy is the poor in spirit. They'll be comforted. The mourning will be comforted. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty after righteousness because they'll be filled. They want to, blessed are those who want to do better in their life. They can. That's what he's talking about. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. You want to be a better person. You can be a better person. God can help you be a better person and will. And Jesus will. Blessed are the merciful because they'll receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They'll see God. You know, God knows your name and He knows your circumstance and He knows your situation. And instead of those texts, those statements or those things, qualities in a person being a formula for misery they're a formula for happiness uh, you know we don't have too many illustrations in the in the Bible of someone being happy but we do have one in Acts chapter 16 that is really overwhelming to me Paul and Silas were out preaching the gospel they came to a place called Philippi and while they were preaching there was a gal that was following them around saying good things about them in order to get some money. So she was advertising their coming. These are the, these are the most high, these are the, these are the servants of God and so forth. And Paul finally turned around and said, shut up. And he got her to be quiet. And those who were making money off this gal, because she was an advertising agent, those who were making money off of her turned Paul in and said, this, these guys are, are disturbing our, our society. And so the Roman rulers, instead of questioning anything, they just took Paul and Silas and whipped them, beat them publicly. I don't know what they used. Probably some pretty strong whips or, or staves or sticks. I don't know what they did. But they beat them pretty good. Threw them into prison. And at midnight, Paul and Silas were mourning and crying and whimpering. No. 
At midnight, you know what Paul and Silas were doing? They were singing. Can you imagine? You know who sings? Happy people. They were singing. And it was so overwhelming to the guards, the doors of the prisons came open, and the guards just couldn't imagine what was going on. They're going to kill themselves. They just had never seen anything like that before. That's an illustration of whatever situation you're in, be happy. They were happy. They had an overwhelming sense of well-being. They were content. So, happiness is obtained, and it has to be retained. We can, we can be happy. It does, that, that means that, that you, either, you either can be or you can't be. So happiness just doesn't flood over you and external circumstances keep you happy continually and on top of the world. No, what it means is you can be happy if you retain it. If you continue in your sense of well-being, you can, be happy, you, you can retain it. But there are things that will take it away from you. You say, okay, somebody breaks into my house and steals everything I've got then I'm going to be awfully sad. Well, you probably experience some irritation at this and so forth. But does that mean that you have to be unhappy when they take away your possessions? Is, does that mean that everything's gone that made any, of any value to you? Well, well, think about it. Here are some things that will take away your happiness. And they're simple things. But they're devastating to us. Envy. If you're envious of someone, if you're jealous, and if you hold a grudge, your happiness goes out the window. Just, that's just a fact of life. You cannot be happy and be greedy and envious and jealous and critical. You can't do that. It has absolutely no effect on anybody else, but it does have an effect on you. If I'm envious of someone, it only affects me. It doesn't affect them. They, don't, they couldn't care less. But it keeps me from being content, doesn't it? To have a sense of well-being. 1 Peter 2.1 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice, that means you're not going to get even, and all guile, you can't be sneaky. And all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Why? Because God wants you to be happy, blessed. That's what He wants. And you can retain it or you can give it up. Obsessive pursuit of material possessions places our happiness on the shifting sands of chance. If I'm happy because I'm my bank account's growing. Does that mean I'm unhappy when it's sinking? Could be, couldn't it? Here's something interesting to me. As I study this business of happiness, I've discovered that those philosophers and those word merchants who are thinking about what happiness is actually defined it in terms of dollars and cents. Do you know that? They said things like this. They said, well... 
You can be happy if you make $65,000 a year. That's an individual. Over that, you're unhappy. You can get unhappy. So they're saying happiness is in that band of income. That was several years ago. Now they're saying it's 95, 95,000. If you make 95,000 a year, that not that silly? So anybody making over that is probably going to lose happiness because they're, they're more concerned about their money than they are about their lives, so forth. But that, you, you see, that's ethereal. That doesn't make any difference. Possessions will not make us happy or unhappy. Paul said this. He's talking about individuals who got caught up in that. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, he says, Perverse disputings, those who are caught up in that, have perverse disputings of men of corrupt mind, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw yourselves, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He didn't say $65,000 with contentment per year is great gain, or 95000 He said godliness with contentment is great gain. Being right in the sight of God, knowing that He loves you. We brought nothing into this world, He said, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money is the root of all evil, which some, having coveted after, have heard from the faith, pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Get caught up with money and finances, you're going to start draining your happiness. It's going to seep away. It's like trying to keep everything you have in a sieve. It just goes through. The third thing I want to mention is that, as a warning, that we can lose our happiness is from bitterness. When we get bitter. From whatever cause. Bitterness from whatever cause. Somebody says something to us that we don't like. Somebody does something we don't like. Some of it happens in our lives that we don't like. Bitterness. We're just bitter. It can cause ruin and devastation to our our sense of well-being. James said, If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom doesn't come from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So, be happy. Be content. Have a sense of well-being. Don't find yourself up on the roof one day in the basement the next day. That's moodiness, moodiness. Be level. Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I was thinking about this when, when I was thinking about the text. When, when Jesus was washing the feet, can you imagine being happy washing somebody's feet? Think about it. You say, well, I'd wash my spouse's feet. I'd wash my kids' feet. I'd wash my parents' feet. Would you wash the feet of a stranger? And if you did, could you be happy at it? Could you be content? You say, well, you know, the contentment sometimes was described this way to me. 
years ago. Contentment and self-esteem is found in the man who leads his horse. You know what that means? It means he could ride if he wanted to, but he doesn't have to, so he doesn't, doesn't make any difference one way or the other. So when you're talking about serving someone else, you have to talk about how you appear in that person's eyes. And if you appear in that person's eyes in your own mind that you're thinking, I'm less than they are, or I'm more than they are, that's going to destroy your contentment. But if you can say, I'm doing this because I love you, because I care about you, and it doesn't make any difference what you think about me. I'm doing it because I have a sense of well-being within myself. God gave me that, and he gave you that, a sense of well-being, because you belong to him, and you have that. God blessed you. I want to speak well of you, and I want to say, be happy, children of God. Be happy.